Chakra Connects, where we give a voice to those battling complex illnesses, challenging medical conditions or rare diseases, and the healthcare providers who treat them as well as the support system that nurtures and sustains them. Hi, I'm Janice McRae, founder and CEO of Nexus 8 International. Our product, HIPRA, is a collaborative knowledge sharing tool for healthcare providers. Hope you find meaning in the following podcast. Hi, Miranda. My name is Mediha. Thank you for being here and sharing on behalf of the Amniotic Food Embolism Foundation. Before we get started, do you want to tell a little bit about your background? Sure. Thanks again for um, this opportunity. Uh, my background was I had my undergrad degree in biology and chemistry, always a very curious individual. Um, but I had worked throughout college and was in banking for almost 20 years before I decided to um, go a different direction, which was uh, creating and starting an organization, um, the Amniotic Fluid Embolism Foundation, after my own personal experience with what we call uh, an acronym as AFE. So my background was uh, corporate banking, finance, and a little bit of marketing. And then I had a personal experience and decided to start an organization. Thank you for that. And so for our, our audience members, could you please briefly go into what an am- amniotic fluid embolism is? Sure. Uh, AFE is a unexpected sudden complication, usually that occurs during birth or labor or even shortly after birth. It can also happen during medical procedures when a woman is pregnant, but it's most commonly happens during labor and shortly after delivery. It is thought to be an allergic-like reaction to the amniotic fluid that surrounds the baby. If it gets into the uh, circulatory system, it can cause a catastrophic and sudden um, change in the mother's health. Uh, It ranges from cardiorespiratory collapse, so significant issues with the heart and the lungs to push oxygen throughout the body. And it also initiates a complex bleeding complication that often lends to significant hemorrhaging. So both these systems, both the heart and lungs and the blood systems are impacted by this sudden allergic-like reaction. So it is very quick. It is uh, poorly understood. It is not in any of the books of what to expect when expecting. And it occurs in about a hundred deliveries in the United States each year. And just for comparison, there are approximately 4 million births in the U S and of those a hundred may experience an AFE. It's unpreventable. It's unpredictable. We don't know the etiology or cause of it. We just know that in some women who get the amniotic fluid into their vasculature, that it causes this sudden, um, immune reaction. So I would like to know more about what your organization is about and what does it do? Sure. So after my own experience with an AFE, um, my life had been forever changed. One is, you know, for those who have an AFE or for families who lose a loved one to AFE, because it is, it is significantly devastating um, to mom and sometimes baby. So the mortality rate around AFE is around 40%. 
Um, after my own experience with it um, and sort of waking from my coma, I was sort of told what had happened, but I just, I'd never heard of it. It was very complex. Um, the doctors and nurses did the best they could to explain it to me. But again, as I shared, my background was, you know, biology and chemistry. I'd done a lot of research in college and my mind immediately went to, I need to read more about this. You know, uh, the, the term Google, it was just getting started. And, uh, when I was able to go home and sort of wrap my head around everything, I immediately went to the internet to try and find stuff. And I, I really couldn't find much. Um, and so I knew I needed to go to the library and really start to research maybe more in the medical journals. And that's when I read uh, more about it and realized that what the physicians and nurses were telling me was in fact true. They didn't know a lot about it. At that time, the mortality rate was between 60 and 80% of women who had it would die. And I sat there in the library just thinking, how could this happen in the 21st century? Women dying in childbirth just didn't seem like, that seemed like biblical times. It didn't seem like something that should happen now, especially in one of the wealthiest, most advanced countries in the world. And so I quickly started to amass the literature. And then I did a quick search while I was there in the library thinking, surely there must be an organization for this. And so it was there in the library that day that I decided something had to be done. And I really wanted to focus on the research end. It had seemed that research had stalled for about 20 years. And so I quickly gathered all of those papers. I saw some common names and decided that I was going to start an organization and I wanted the best of the best and those who had researched it to join our, our board. Fortunately, with my background in banking and marketing, I had the opportunity and, and privilege to sit on a number of nonprofit boards here in San Diego, where I live. And that had taught me a great deal about what it took to run an organization. Um, and I knew it wasn't going to be an easy task. But initially, what we what I created was sort of affected or impacted or devastated by AFE uh, to bring researchers together. And then over time, over years, we started to realize we really needed to be a part of the education. We really needed to help healthcare providers and clinicians be prepared for these sudden and unexpected events because they are rare. And it's not something many of them see in their clinical studies or even in their clinical practice because it's rare and devastating. And so um, our organization really exists to do three things. One is to perform research. We need to understand the etiology of AFE because at this point, we don't know what causes it. And therefore, therapies are not directive, meaning we are only treating the downward, the downstream symptoms. So if a woman has a cardiac arrest, we do CPR. If a woman is bleeding, we give her transfusions but we would really like to be able to give directive therapy and stop it before it starts or be able to stop the inciting event. We also do education. So um, offering courses, offering simulations to healthcare providers to prepare them for these rare and unexpected events. And really one of the things that my heart is most called to is supporting the families. Um, when I was there in the library, I, I came across a blog post of a woman, uh, Jenny and her 
son, Broden. Um, they had passed the same week my son was born. And I knew then that I needed to help be a voice for those who no longer had a voice. And so connect with other grieving families, offer them hope, offer them some answers. Um, we don't have all the answers, but we'd like to walk them through those early days, uh, weeks and months ahead. And then of course, those who've survived. Um, and so we've created a pretty, pretty amazing community. Um, I think when this happens to someone and to a family, there is an immediate connection that can happen. Um, and I am so proud and privileged to serve this community that we've sort of amassed over the last 15 years. So our three initiatives really are research, education, and support, much like you'd find with, with most rare disease organizations. Thank you so much for sharing that information. I'm sure it's very helpful for our audience. Um, I was also wondering, what are some common complications that occur due to AFE? Sure. Well, the first, the first real significant complication that happens with an AFE is cardiorespiratory collapse. And essentially what that means is that the heart and lungs stop functioning properly. Um, I will liken it very similar to what we've all experienced with COVID, where suddenly you see people have significant respiratory compromise. Um, ours is very sudden. It's not like a slow anticipation. It, it goes from a woman um, or a patient, a birthing person in labor, acting normal and fine to suddenly saying they can't catch their breath. They're having trouble breathing. Um, most commonly, this leads to sudden and unexpected cardiac arrest. So the heart loses its ability to actually beat and function. And so um, that's one of the most significant complications is when the heart stops pumping and, and beating, you have a significant decrease in oxygenation to the rest of the body. So it's called an anoxic injury. So different than a traumatic brain injury, it's when the brain is starved of oxygen. Um, in addition to that, it can cause a cardiac arrest can cause significant lack of oxygen to the other vital organs, um, in addition to the brain. So kidneys, um, the liver, the rest of the body tissues. Um, and so those are the complications. Most common complications are cardiac arrest, causing an anoxic injury, causing kidney damage and, or the need for kidney, uh, kidney, um, kidney complications and, and needing a kidney transplant. Um, in addition to that, AFE also causes a disruption in the blood clotting and the ability for the body's ability to clot blood. So it in, immediately creates several clots. Um, and those can be complex in that once, if the heart does start, start again, it can create um, circulating clots throughout the body. So that can cause a stroke. Um, a stroke can cause death and can also cause severe anoxic injury. So lack of oxygen to the brain, severe bleeding. Again, that can cause pretty significant organ damage. Um, so it can cause peripheral, peripheral neuropathy, um, again, kidney dysfunction. In addition to those, we often see patients who, um, suddenly have acute respiratory distress syndrome or compartment syndrome where they no longer have, um, good oxygenation either to their lungs or to certain parts of their body. So in addition to all of those, the, uh, some of the are an immediate hysterectomy where it's the removal of the uterus. And that obviously takes away, if the patient does survive, that takes away her ability to have, um, natural born children. 
So the most common complications are cardiac arrest leading to um, anoxic injury, bleeding that could lead to strokes, uh, kidney damage, peripheral neuropathy, um, and a hysterectomy. Thank you for that valuable information. And so I got thinking, what are some common types of treatments that may be done to treat AFE? Well, the first treatment, again, so treatment isn't directive, it's just supportive. And so the first most common treatment is using advanced cardiac life support or ACLS. And that's going to be chest compressions, medications to manage breathing and blood pressure. We're going to have the patient's going to need to be intubated. The patient's going to need to have immediate large bore IVs placed into their body, hopefully above the diaphragm. Those will be served to push medications as well as could be used for blood transfusions. In addition to that, um, massive transfusion protocol, which is something that's become more and more prevalent in, um, in the space around uh, labor and delivery. Um, it's been very effective to treat postpartum hemorrhage. And so for us, um, for this population of people, massive transfusion protocols are also very helpful. Some of the more advanced treatments for our, our facilities um, and organizations that have access to um, significant intervention, which is um, a type of life uh, support where it takes the heart and, and lungs sort of offline and a machine actually um, breathes and, and, and pumps the heart for the patient. Um, we've seen some anecdotal um, types of medication that can help patients, um, but the most common treatments are again, advanced cardiac life support um, and massive transfusion protocols. Thank you for that. Um, so what are some accomplishments the organization has made in terms of AFE? I'm super glad you asked this because I think, um, you know, we are just celebrated our 15th year and we've taken a hard look to see, you know, about the impact we've had in this space. And I'm, I'm incredibly proud of the community that we have really formed. Um, it is a very welcoming, loving, supportive community. And that is a direct reflection of the families, certainly not of, um, you know, an accomplishment that we've done that's truly a reflection of of the community members but i'm just so glad and grateful that we've had a, a space for them to come and offer a variety of support um resources to them support groups um having we have five lcsws on staff and and volunteers that are able to support our community um but most especially i'm most proud of the research accomplishments that we've made uh, we've created a registry of cases. So should clinicians or people have a registry where we're collecting really important data, collect over 700 data points um, retrospectively. We've also started a biorepository, which is essentially a place where we can store and study biospecimens from patients who've been impacted, both blood and tissue specimens. And we just launched um, a whole new education platform we have a dedicated clinician website, which features a course where physicians and, um, and nurses can get continuing education units. Uh, it's a three hour course that's free, it's, it's on demand. They can take it as often as they want. They can retake it, they can start and stop. 
Um, and it is a practical approach um, meant for a multidisciplinary team of people to to learn more about um, this this condition and how to treat it and how to support families through it. Um, we also have a simulation toolkit, which is also part of our uh, educational resources. And essentially what we've identified is that it, one is knowledge translation is incredibly important for physicians because they're not, this is not something that they would commonly come across, but also preparing for it is a huge thing. We see this so successful in our military setting. We see this very successful in the um, airline industry uh, space exploration, where we do a lot of simulation before an actual event. And so we have a robust um, AFE simulation toolkit that can prepare hospitals really of any size um, from low resource hospitals that may be in a rural setting to advanced university hospitals that have a lot of um, a lot of interventions and a lot of people who can, you know, respond to an event like this. And so our greatest, I truly believe our greatest accomplishments are going to be our, our research, our education and the community that uh, we have formed. On that note, I was wondering, how can our listeners help? Like, how can they get involved, such as volunteering or interning for your organization? You know, there are so many ways that um, individuals can uh, be involved. One, I think, is just the knowledge that we're here. So if there are healthcare providers that are listening, knowing that we have a, a hotline, um, it's 307 and AFEs. So if there's an event in a hospital um, or with a patient of yours, call our hotline as soon as you hear about it. Um, we can walk them through a treatment and management and also do crisis intervention. Uh, for other ways, it's, it's again, um, being involved in advocating for us in our space, making sure that if someone becomes pregnant is having that difficult conversation of saying, Hey, you know, we're so excited for you, but you know, obviously some things can happen during, during labor and delivery or during your pregnancy, have a conversation with your healthcare provider whether it be your, your midwife or your obstetrician um, and ask them, are they ready for unexpected, um, you know, unexpected events that could happen during labor and delivery. We have a variety of ways that people can share on our social media or uh, become certified patient family providers where they can um, advocate on behalf of our organization. I would say probably one of the biggest things is just following the conversation right now around maternal mortality and morbidity. It is significantly increasing in the United States. Um, our BIPOC, our black and brown communities um, with health equity have been significantly impacted by this. Uh, uh, those with melanated skin are oftentimes uh, up to three times more likely to have birth complications or die in childbirth and shortly in the postpartum period. Um, there's a lot leading to that that leads to implicit bias and explicit bias, um, access to care. So I think just having being a part of the conversation, understand the bills and the legislation that's out to support um, to support those uh, those women and birthing people um, really in our country um, who have been sort of put in harm's way. Thank you for that. And I was wondering, is there anything more you would like to tell our listeners? You know, I think probably as an executive director of a rare disease is the impact this has on 
not only the patient and their family, but to the community at large. And I think that when you have a choice of where you can volunteer your time is to consider the little ones, consider us little organizations that are out there that are doing so much with so little resources. Um, you know, I, I haven't seen a nonprofit that I can't get behind, right? We are the stop gaps um, to try and support um, things that maybe the government, uh, you know, just can't support. And so when you have your giving dollars, consider some of the smaller organizations, um, really look to them because it's very difficult for us to get grants. We don't impact significantly public health, but to the community that we do impact, it is devastating and life-changing. And so for us, you know, dollars matter. It keeps our doors open. Um, and so for listeners, I would just like to say, like when you have your giving dollars, really look for those that are in the community or those who are making a difference in the rare disease space. Yes, I totally agree with that. Um, thank you so much for joining me today and speaking on behalf of the AFE Foundation. And I hope you have a very lovely day. Thank you. It has been a privilege and a pleasure. <laughs>